All right, well, I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you, and I do have an appreciation, a newfound appreciation, not just for the physical labor pains that each of you go through as a mother, but also the emotional sacrifice that you make for each of your kids. And I know that for some of you, Mother's Day is sort of a sad day. Uh, maybe you've lost your mom this year, or maybe for you, you want to be a mother, but up until this point, you haven't been able to. And just know that we're praying for you today. We, we know that you're out there. But every single one of us has a mom. Every one of us was brought into this world by somebody. And I know that for me, my mother created an environment where I could be loved and safe and secure. And I'm probably not even aware of all the ways that she's had an impact upon my life. And so I just want to say to all of you mothers out there, what an incredible responsibility and calling that God has given you. Sometimes people make it out like, oh, you're just a mom, or you're just a mom. Like it's a secondary thing that God is going to do through your life, but it's not. It's one of the most powerful ways that God is going to use you to shape another person. And so my hope today is that you feel loved and appreciated and cared for on this Mother's Day. Thank you for spending some of it with us. Whether you are in your living room, your kitchen, or whether you're hiding in your bathroom or out in the car, just to try to get away from everybody for a little bit. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up a four-week series called Drive Through Love. Fast is okay when it comes to food, but it's not okay when it comes to relationships. Great relationships are not fast. They're not ordered off of a menu. Great relationships take hard work and sacrifice. They require time and patience. In fact, today's message is based off of Papa John's slogan, better ingredients, better pizza. The idea is the quality of the parts make up the quality of the whole. That's not just true for pizzas, it's true for families as well. Families at their best are made up of people at their best. The healthier each member of the family is, the healthier the family itself will be. But that's hard, especially in the world that we're living in right now. Like many of you, for the last eight weeks or so, our family has been pretty much confined to our house. In fact, as I was writing this message, I came out of my office at about one o'clock. And I noticed that my oldest son was heating up a frozen pizza. And so I said, buddy, there's some burgers and chicken left over from dinner the night before. Why don't, why don't you just grab that and have that instead? Don't make the pizza. And he looked at me. He said, dad, I've already had two burgers and a chicken fajita bowl for lunch. He said, this pizza is a snack. It was 1.22 in the afternoon. I walked away. I thought, we are all going to die. Like, there is no way I'm going to get through this shelter-at-home thing alive. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said that Zoom calls have stolen a piece of his soul that he didn't even know existed. And I just had to laugh because most of my life these days is a Zoom call. I was on a Zoom call with John Taylor, our campus pastor at White Bear Lake, and right away I noticed he was in his car. So I said, you're hiding from your kids, aren't you? And he kind of smiled a little bit. And five minutes into the call, you see these little hands behind the back window and doing these kind of things. And John glances over his shoulder, realizes what's happening, and all of a sudden his video goes dark. Two minutes later, the video comes back on. He's now driving in the car. This is the world we live in today, just trying to do our Zoom meetings and get away from the kids who are trying to get their schoolwork done. 
But it hasn't all been bad. In fact, there's been some wonderful things that God has done. Our family had a ping pong tournament one night. We've had dinner together most evenings. I've been able to tuck the kids in without rushing them to bed. One of my wife's friends has called this the great American reset. That we're so used to scrambling out the door to get to work and get to school and get to the daycare and get to the kids to practice. We're so used to running to the grocery store, picking up something at Target, going and getting something at Menards, trying to squeeze a workout in, and then pulling through the drive-thru to get dinner. That was normal life. But now it's not. Each of us have been afforded the opportunity to hit the reset button. Our schedules have gone back to ground zero. And one of the questions that I hope each of us is asking today is this. When life goes back to normal, do you want to go back to normal life? Because what if normal wasn't working for you? What if in all of the pick this up, go get that, what if we were missing out on the most important ingredient for our families, which is love? 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage from the Bible that oftentimes gets read at weddings. It's just a beautiful verse about the definition of love. But this is not a verse just for weddings. It's a verse for life. It's a verse for when you are yelling at a person that you promise to love in sickness and in health. It's a verse for when you're irritated with a child that you once held in your arms and cried because you were so happy. It's for when you're dating and you get in your first big fight or when you're furious at your siblings. It's a verse for everyday real life. Here's how Paul begins. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can get straight A's. You can be on the A team or the B team. You can be the VP, the first VP, the VP of marketing. You can have a beachfront or lakefront house. You can have a house that's so clean and cute it should be on Pinterest. You could be extremely busy. And according to this verse, you could even have faith that moves mountains. But if you don't have love, then you have gained nothing. Does your family have love right now? Of course, we all go through ups and downs. We all have difficult seasons and days when we're not at our best. But what would you say is the love quotient in your family right now? And would you say that that love quotient has gone up over the last eight weeks? Or would you say that it has gone down? The question I hope we're all wrestling with is, have we scheduled our lives in such a way that has pushed love to the margins? You see, drive-through love, it looks like real love, but it's not. Real love is not fast, it's not quick, it's not easy. Real love takes time. Love tucks kids into bed at night, sits on the edge of their bed and prays for them. 
Love isn't always just talking about our schedules and when we need to pick up so-and-so at what time, but love goes on a walk. It asks questions. It holds hands. It asks your spouse or maybe your best friend how they're really doing in life. Love takes work. It takes sacrifice. It's not rushed. It's not stressed. It's not constantly on the run. In fact, today I want to give you three ways that you can add this ingredient of love more to your family over the course of the next couple of weeks. Here's the first way. Set the thermostat to love. Now, I feel like I should have Marvin Gaye music or Barry White playing in the background when I say that. Set the thermostat to love, right? And some of you are like, hey, man, I'm, I'm tr- I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. It's not what this point is about. In my hand, I have a thermometer. And a thermometer reads the temperature, either in a room or in a person. A thermostat is different. A thermostat sets the temperature. Love is a thermostat. It sets the temperature in your family. It sets the tone. In fact, look at what it says next in 1 Corinthians 13. Because now we're starting to get at what a definition of real love is. It says that love is not self-seeking. In other words, love is not about you. It's not about me. Love doesn't trample another person like a Black Friday shopper looking for a deal. Love doesn't disrespect their parents. Love isn't found on a Friday night after six beers with a stranger. Love is outward moving. It's given to us so that we can give it away to others. As author Tim Jennings points out, God has structured all of creation to operate under this principle. For example, the oceans give water to the clouds. And the clouds, in turn, then give water to the lakes, rivers, and streams. Those lakes, rivers, and streams give water to plants and to animals. But where does that water eventually, in most cases, end up? Well, it ends up back in the ocean. If water is cut off from this cycle, it becomes stagnant, and everything in it dies. God has given us a powerful illustration of this with the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea receives water from the Jordan River, but it doesn't give any of its water away. And what happens? Well, the name, Dead Sea, says it all. As human beings, when we breathe out, we emit carbon dioxide. And that is what plants need to survive. Plants emit oxygen, which is what we need to survive. Now, you might say, oh, I don't want to give away my carbon dioxide. It's mine. I mean, I'm not giving it away to plants or anything else. I'm going to keep it for myself. And you could do that if you wanted to. But then you'd have to what? You'd have to stop breathing, and then you would die. This same principle applies to relationships. If you are in a relationship where one or both people are self-seeking, and they don't want to give, and they don't want to sacrifice, that relationship will die. If one or both people are all about their happiness, their wants, their needs, their dreams, their desires, that relationship will die. 
Some of you know what this is like. You've been in a relationship with someone for years where it was all about them and the world just revolved around them and they didn't want to sacrifice or give and what happened? Well, that relationship died. It's one of the reasons why I get so fired up when I hear about a boyfriend pressuring his girlfriend into having sex before marriage and his reasoning is, well, we love each other and we need to take our relationship to the next level. That's not love. That's more like lust. But if you really loved that other person, you would want them to stand before God one day and before their future spouse, whether that's you or whether that's somebody else, and you would want them to be able to say, I saved myself for you. Frankly, it is self-seeking and manipulative to try to fulfill our own sexual desires and then pass that off as love. Because love is not self-seeking. Love gives up what it wants for what's best for the other person. In fact, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. This is kind of the full context of the verse. Paul writes this, he says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. If you're a mom or a dad, would you insert the word mom or dad where it says love. So dad is patient. Dad is kind. My mom, she's not easily angered. My dad, he's not easily angered. Mom does not keep a record of wrongs. Does that describe you these days? I was reading an article in Colorado as people begin to social distance mountain lions or cougars have come out of the mountains and they've started to enter into civilization. Here's a picture of three mountain lions, three cougars, walking around in a neighborhood in broad daylight. I was talking to someone about this and they said, you know, those aren't the only cougars that are coming out. They said, I can get so mad at my kids. They said, I don't know if it's just because we're stuck in the house and everything seems, you know, harder, but there's messes, and they fight with each other, and all of a sudden, they said this cougar of anger and impatience just comes up out of me. Me too. I walked around our house the other day. There was orange peels on the floor. There was wrappers. Our kids put a bowl back in the fridge that had one pea in it. One pea. I took the bowl out. I'm like, come on. Eat the pea, put the bowl into the dishwasher. Siblings fighting with each other, and before I know it, this cougar can come out of me. This cougar of anger and impatience. In fact, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed recently that my kids mirror me. That if I walk into the room and I see my son sitting there working on his math homework, and I go, come, have you gotten your math homework done yet? I mean, seriously, you're going to sit there and dink around? Don't make me get an email from your teacher saying that you didn't get this assignment completed. Then I'm likely to get that tone mirrored back towards me. But if I walk into the room and I go, oh, son, you're struggling with your math homework, struggling to stay focused. 
you just got to think of something that you're looking forward to and, and really dig in and focus. I know that you can do this. I'm likely to have that tone mirrored back to me. Now, if you were around our house the last few weeks, you would see me fail at this far more than I succeed. But I've called this previously the power of the pause. There is a power when you simply just pause. I learned about the power of the pause several years ago when I was mowing my backyard. I was mowing my yard and my wife left the house. She went out to shop or something for a couple of hours. And when I came around to put the mower into the garage, I realized that she had shut the garage door. And this was at our old house, so I didn't have a code that I could just kind of punch in and, and get into my garage. And I checked every single door, and they were all locked. So now I'm stuck outside for like over an hour. I went to our backyard, I sat down on our deck, and I just started to rant. In my head, I was having this conversation with my wife. Oh, you didn't hear me mowing in the backyard? <clears throat> you didn't know that I <clears throat> couldn't get back in? We don't have a code. All the doors are locked. I don't carry keys with me when I'm mowing the lawn. Come on, what were you thinking? I was so fired up. I did that for about 20 minutes. But then it was really hot out, and I was tired, and so I closed my eyes, and I dozed off for a little bit, and I woke up as my wife was pulling into our driveway, and here's what I noticed. I wasn't mad anymore. We actually laughed about it, all because I was forced to take a pause. Most anger is reactionary in nature. She says something and you think to yourself, I'm not true. And so you fire back so they know what's true. You receive an email and you're like, what? And so then you fire off a response. You get a text message and right away, and you just go right back at them. Pause. Take a breath. Not to stew on it. Not to get bitter or filled with contempt over time, but to give your brain a chance to calm down and give a proper response. Paul defines love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You add those ingredients to your family. It's patience. It's kindness. I think when you log on Facebook or social media, they should just have that verse right there, and you should be required to read it before you click on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You can read that and then go, oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm ready now. My heart's in a place to actually be on social media. But those are the kinds of ingredients that you want to add to your family. But you got to set the thermostat. You've got to be the one that sets the tone. Here's the second way that you can add the ingredient of love to your family. And it's run as hard at the end as you did at the beginning. Herm Edwards is the football coach for Arizona State, and he says he can always tell a player's toughness by how fast they run the last lap of wind sprints. Here's what Edwards said about this. He says, is that player going to run just fast enough to finish in the middle of the pack? 
That's a smart coach. I always used to do that. I don't want to finish last, but I'm not necessarily going to push to finish first. Are they going to give up and quit? Because you know it's going to burn. He says, when you see someone who can push through it and run that last lap as hard as the first, that's toughness. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says it this way. He says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. He says, love always perseveres. Not some of the time, not most of the time, always. Anyone here today feel like quitting on a marriage? Or maybe you know another couple who's at that point. As Ryan mentioned in his marriage message last weekend, post-coronavirus, the divorce rate in China is skyrocketing. And here's what that tells me. It tells me that stress outside the marriage will put stress on your marriage. That if you're stressed out about your finances and you're stressed out about your job and you're stressed out about your retirement fund because you thought you were going to be retiring in a couple of years, that is going to put stress on your marriage. Or maybe you find yourself today filled with bitterness and contempt. Bitterness and contempt towards your brother, your parents, a friend. Relationship experts have found that bitterness and contempt are the number one relationship killers. If you are married and you are bitter or filled with contempt towards your spouse, when you go to bed at night, you just assume the back-to-back position. It's like you supernaturally know. Nobody had to tell you about this. Your parents never said, hey, here's what you do if you're really upset. You never took a premarital counseling class, and the counselor said, now, if you're really upset at each other, you go back-to-back. But that's what you do. I'm not even going to look over at you. And there's certain unwritten rules One of which is that your body parts are not allowed to touch. So if her toe wanders over into enemy territory and accidentally brushes up against your toe, you pull your toe back. You're like, no toe for you. You want to play with your toe? You play with your own toe over there. No no toe for you. And if that's the point that you're at right now, if that's where you find yourself, you are in the danger zone. One of the smartest decisions that my wife and I have ever made is that we said we are not going to say the D word. And we don't. We don't threaten it. We don't think it. We don't say it. We've just told ourselves very early on that divorce was not an option. We are going to run as hard in the middle and the end of our relationship as we did at the beginning. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that there are some couples that have made the commitment Never to be divorced, never to utter that word, but they also don't work on their marriage that much. They've become complacent. They settle for being roommates and carpool buddies, and that is not God's design or intention for your marriage either. Here's what I believe. If you want what you once had, then you need to do what you once did. If you want what you once had in your marriage, then you need to do what you once did in your marriage. See, here's what happens to a lot of people. They start to date, and they go out to dinner, they go on walks, they go to movies. 
They ask each other questions. They hold hands. They call each other their little honey bunny bunches of oats. They do all of those things. And then they get married. And all of a sudden, most of their conversations revolve around money. You spent what? I was just checking the budget here. I can't believe. Their conversations revolve around scheduling. I, you went out with your friends last week. I was supposed to have a friend night right now. You get the kid. They, they talk about all those kinds of things in their marriage, the appliance that needs to be fixed. And 10 years in, all of a sudden they step back and go, wow, what happened? The flame died out. I'll tell you what happened. They stopped doing what they once did. If you want what you once had, then you need to do what you once did. Some advice that my wife and I have tried to build into our marriage is to have some time, just the two of us. So once a week, we try to go out to dinner or go on a walk. Once a year, we try to get away for a weekend, just the two of us. And here's what I've noticed. Every time we get some time away, I have a moment, usually it's a day or two in, where I look at her and I think, oh, I love her so much. And all it took was for me to remember. Now, I'm not saying that every time we get some alone time, there's bells and whistles and we hear violins playing and feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. I think she probably does. And I, I actually don't always feel that way. But every time, given that there's not a bigger problem in our marriage that we need to address, every time we get some alone time with one another, I start to remember. I remember why we got married, and why we love each other, and why we've built a family together. What if you went on a walk this week? What if you held hands? What if you asked questions? What if you call each other your little honey bunny bunches of oats, but don't do that in front of your kids or in front of me, okay? Because ain't, ain't nobody want to hear that. But what if you did the things that you once did, you might just have what you once had. You need to commit to running as hard in the middle and at the end as you did at the beginning. Here's the third way that you can add this ingredient of love to your family, and it's this, you have to choose to love. So look at how this section of 1 Corinthians finishes out. It says this, love never fails. If you're dating or you're engaged, you're looking at that verse right now, and you're just looking over at your fiance or your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're going, it's talking about us. It's our love, our love, the bond that we have together. It is, it is never going to fail. But that's actually not what the verse means. The verse doesn't mean that another person is never going to fail you. It's not saying that your love together, the bond that you have, is never going to fail. It's saying that God's love will never fail you. Other people might fail you. Your relationships or your love, it, it may fail you, but God's love will never fail. When my wife and I were engaged, we were asking some other couples for their best marriage advice, and we asked her grandparents. And her grandparents on that side of the family, this year they've been married for 67 years. 
That's more than most of us have been alive. They've been married for 67 years. And so we asked them, what's your best marriage advice? And I don't remember exactly how they worded this, but her grandfather said something like this. He said, you know, there were times when we didn't even like each other. And my eyebrows went up a little bit when I heard that. Because I was engaged, and I thought, oh, we're going to wake up every morning and just roll over. Oh, I love you. I love you, too. I'm so happy. And so when he said that, I kind of went, really? He said, there were times when we felt so unloved by one another. They had eight kids. He was running his own business, which is extremely stressful. He was, had an addiction earlier in his life that he had to overcome. He said, there were moments when we felt unloved, but then he added these words. He said, but we chose to love. Didn't feel like loving. We chose it. Didn't want to necessarily love, but we chose it. Today, they've been married for 67 years, and they're one of those couples that you go, oh, I just wish I had that kind of relationship. That is some of the realest marriage advice that I have ever received. Let me ask you, is there someone in your life that you need to choose to love them? By the way, sometimes choosing to love another person involves saying no or setting up some boundaries. If you are in an abusive relationship right now, you don't choose love, you choose to separate and that is actually the most loving thing that you can do for both them and for yourself. But it's a choice. Anyone that you need to choose to love right now, you don't feel like it, but you choose it. You don't want to do it, but you choose to do it. Friends, we are living in the great American Reset. When, when you come out of your house in a couple weeks or whenever it might be, do you want your family to be stronger and filled with more love? You have to choose it. You have to set the thermostat to love. You have to model things like patience and not being easily angered. And you need to run as hard in the middle and the end as you did at the beginning. In fact, today I want to close out by reading this whole verse to you in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I read this verse, I would love for you to pick one aspect of love that you want to ask God to help you grow in right now. Maybe for you it's, it's patience and you say, God, I need to become a more patient person. And you start praying about that and you ask somebody else to hold you accountable and ask you like, hey, how, how's, how's it going with the patience? Maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's boasting or being prideful. Maybe it's not being self-seeking or easily angered. But I want you to pick one aspect of love and then you might want to write that little phrase or that word on a card or on your phone. And just keep praying about it this week. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. And it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
and it keeps no record of wrongs. Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you for the opportunity to hit the reset button for many of us. God, the Bible says at times that you make us lie down in green pastures and sometimes you have to make us. God, I pray that in all the things that we have going on in our life and all of our accomplishments and all of our busyness, that we wouldn't miss out on the most important ingredient for our family, which is love. God, would you increase our love this week? Our love for you, our love for other people. God, make us patient, make us kind. Help us to not be easily angered or to keep a record of wrongs. God, speak to us about when we need to sacrifice and give up what we want for what another person needs or what's best for them. But God, I pray for every family here that we would come out of this, whenever that might be, stronger and more in love, and we have added this ingredient to our families. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, next weekend, we were supposed to be in the fifth week of our marriage series, and there was something in me that just sensed that in the time we're in right now, that that was gonna be too long in a relationship series. And so I wanna talk to you about how you can win the battle in your mind. So many people that I talk to right now are anxious, they're fearful, they're negative, they're critical, and there's a constant battle that's taking place in their thought life. And next weekend, I wanna help you and anybody else that you invite to watch with you or to invite to watch online, I wanna help you win that battle in your mind. God has a lot to say about our thoughts and about our mind, and so we'd love to have you join us next weekend. We'll see you then.